Hey guys, good morning. Welcome back to the show and thank you for listening. I have a, what's going to, I think, end up being a little bit of a rant today about retirement and about thinking differently about what retirement looks like. This comes on the heels of having a financial advisor come in and talk to the staff at the law firm about our 401k plan. And first of all, I can hear all my real estate friends groaning and turning this episode off because real estate guys all view 401ks as entirely useless. And I just want to remind you guys that that's because you don't pay much, if any, taxes because of depreciation. And for all the people who have W-2 earnings who actually still do pay taxes, 401k is a really great way to reduce your taxable income. So if you're a W-2 earner who just heard me say that and says, what the hell does he mean? Real estate guys don't pay taxes. Let me tell you that I didn't understand it at first either and that the tax code really is like stupid advantageous to real estate professionals. And if that is news to you, you ought to go and check that out. So I woke up really early this morning, kind of jazzed with these ideas, and I walked downstairs and talked to Kristen, my wife, about what this episode was going to be about. And she kind of rolled her eyes because she did a lot of work setting up this 401k for us. Krista runs our HR here at the law firm. And one of the things that she did when she moved us out of paychecks and out of this system where you can never actually talk to anybody is to a private brokerage who comes with great perks, like a living, breathing, walking, talking, actual financial advisor who's not some 25-year-old kid who is selling life insurance and, and thinks he knows everything. Like this guy's been around the block a couple of times. And so while I didn't agree with everything that this guy had to say, I thought his advice was really good for the staff. And and staff, I hope you're listening because I'm going to send this episode around to everybody with a note that like, hey, if you only listen to one episode that I put out, listen to this one because I think it's important for you. Welcome to Time Freedom for Lawyers, where the goal is to become less busy, make more money, and spend more time doing what you want instead of what you have to. Bringing together guests from all walks of life who are living a life of their own design and sharing actionable tips for how you too can live the life of your dreams. Now, here's your host, Brian Glass. These guys, the financial advisor guys, they always show up with these charts. And you could tell that for some of my staff, it was the first time that they'd ever heard anything about these numbers. So this guy shows up with charts showing you know, what you need to make if you want to maintain your current standard of living into retirement. And one of the things that he says is that if you're currently making $50,000, you need to have a million dollars in retirement and your retirement funds in order to draw off of that for you know the projected 30 years or so that you're going to be alive in retirement. And then he shows this chart that says, if you're making 80000 a year, you need $2.7 million when you retire. And you hear this like collective gasp go up in the room. And then it gets worse because he says, if you're age 30, you know, you know, and you're making 80000 a year, you need to be saving 10000 of that every year to reach that goal. And by the way, if you're age 40, you need to be saving 25000 a year to reach that goal. And so, you know, you could kind of feel the energy sap out of the room. And so I'm here to tell you that that I don't think he gets everything right. And I think differently in three ways about retirement planning. And that's what this episode is going to be about. And so before we jump in, let me just tell you the three ways that I think differently and give you the opportunity to opt out if this sounds like complete bullshit to you. So number one, these guys who show up with their charts, they're showing you average 
And you, because you're listening to podcasts, because you're reading books, and because you're doing everything you can to make your life better, you are not average. And so these charts, for the most part, they don't apply to you, and they're not going to apply to your life. Number two, the whole point of these retirement funds is to build up enough funds so that when you retire, when you stop working, you can maintain your current level of living. And I think that's crap. Like who wants to maintain their current level of living? I want my life to be better in retirement than it is today. So that's number two. And number three, the traditional way of thinking about retirement is that we want to have a big enough bag of money that we can bleed it at three or four or 5% every single year and hope that when we die, it's not completely dry. And I think that's the wrong way to think about retirement. So if you're still with me, let me dive into number one. And the number one and the, the most important message that I think I can give you is that you are not average. Retirement planning and Monte Carlo simulators, and here's how much money you need to save, and here's how much you can expect inflation to go up and your earnings to go up and your investments to go up is made for average people. Average is mediocre and you are not average. So number one, all of these charts assume that you're going to get 4% cost of living raises for the rest of your life. And I'm going to suggest that that's nonsense. Your job is to go out and find a way to earn more than 4% every year for the rest of your life, either by providing more value to your employer and explaining the value proposition of why you deserve a raise, or by creating your own thing, going out and providing value to the rest of the world that they will pay you handsomely for. And then your job is to increase the delta between the amount that you earn and the amount that you spend. So wealth is built on this gap between what you earn and what you spend. If you earn 4% more next year and you spend 4% more, you haven't gotten ahead. If you earn 4% more and spend 7% less, you're ahead. Well, what happens if you can go out and you can earn 50% more next year and maintain your current level of spend or even increase it? You're getting even further ahead. And so the number one piece of advice that I've been giving to young associates is this. Stop asking for raises. Stop it. And if you hear that and you go, like, I'm a business owner, of course you're saying that. No. Stop tying your compensation to, I want X percent more each year. It's stupid. Tie your compensation to, I want a percentage of what I bring in. Ask for origination credit. Figure out how to make that work. When you tie yourself as a salaried associate to raises and you're not getting origination credit and you're not then incentivized to go out and generate your own book of business, then really I think you become a liability. And as a business owner, especially going into recession, like I don't want liabilities. I want assets. I want people who can go out and find cases on their own, generate their own business. And I'm happy to pay for that. And it's really a matter of aligning our interests in a way that makes it a win-win And not in a way that is just giving you a larger slice of a pie that's not growing. Like figure out how you can grow the pie and I'm happy to grow the slice as well. But if the pie isn't growing, then we have problems. Now, on the other hand, my number one piece of advice for business owners is is a little bit different. It's stop thinking incrementally. Most people in the world are incremental thinkers. They think if I did 2 million in revenue last year, I can probably add 10% next year. That's like a reasonable goal to hit. Sure, yeah, you probably can. I mean, with inflation, you're going to hit 10% just by doing the exact same thing that you did this year. Like prices have just gone up for PI guys like medicine. The cost of medicine has gone up and just by by like a trickle down nature that impacts our settlements. But, you know, the thought experiment that I would take you through is is this. So get out a piece of paper 
and write down at the top of the piece of paper, 2022, 2023, 24, 25, 26, 27, and under 22, write down how much money you made last year. Now, skip all the way over to 2027, multiply your 22 number by five, and write it under 2027. What would you have to do to make that much money in 2027? How much would you have to earn per hour? What additional services might your business have to provide and what would you charge for them? How many clients would you need to serve at, and at what price point? And if you're saying, I can't do that, my clients won't pay 5X as much, well, well maybe, but have you tried? And, and maybe it's because you're not providing enough value and your job is to provide 5X the value to justify 5X the cost. And I'm here to tell you that providing 5X the value is not going to cost you five as, 5X as much to do. So there's a lot of scale in between the value that you're providing and what people will pay for it. If you're a PI lawyer, which I am, so I, I'm an auto accident injury lawyer, the way that I thought about this a couple of years ago is how can I get into a better class of cases? What would I do if I just said to myself, I don't do chiropractor cases anymore. I only do surgery cases. What would that do to my average case value? And because I know my numbers, I know exactly what it would do. For instance, I know that the average chiropractor case has a fee value of 5,000 in my office and the average surgical case has a fee value of about 30,000. So just by switching my avatar clients and chiropractor was never really my avatar client, but, but you get it just by saying to myself, I'm not doing chiropractor cases anymore. I'm only doing surgical. I've six X my average fee value. And, you know, the question then is like, if you say to yourself, well, I can't do that. Right. Cause I, I don't have a book of surgical cases. Well, 2023, you might not, but what would 2027 you have to do in order to have a full case of surgical cases? What would you have to learn? Who would you have to network with? What would your marketing have to look like? What would your client experience have to look like? How could you get better Google reviews that would drive surgical cases to your office? Okay. And think about what would you have to evolve into in order to command the kind of case and the kind of clientele that you want. So after you've done that experiment for 2027, I want you to take the 27 number and just slide it over and put it into 2025. What would you have to do now as a thought experiment to accelerate the 5X growth in five years into three years? What would have to be true in order to make that happen? And lastly, what would you have to do like to make sure that that was still fun, right? To make sure that in 2025, when you're earning, earning five times as much as you are now, you're still having fun. Because I'll tell you, the answer isn't I'm going to go out and work five times as hard. Most of us can't do that. Most of us wouldn't want to do that. And it isn't worth it. But just doing that thought exercise and seeing where it takes you and understanding that in order to grow and in order to 5X or 3X your revenue, you need to change and you need to grow into the kind of person that can command those kinds of cases and the kind of lawyer that can command those fees and can offer that kind of value to your clients will tell you what you need to do next in the next year, in the next quarter in the next week so that you're on track, not to hit those numbers because the numbers aren't that important, but to become the kind of lawyer who can hit those numbers. So now that we've solved the revenue problem, right? Or given you a way to think about the revenue problem. Here's the second issue that I have with these retirement guys is that who wants to maintain the current standard of living? I want my future life to be better and make no mistake. I have a great life. And I say this not to brag, but really to illustrate the point. 
In the past year, I've been fortunate to travel a lot. I've been on a plane probably every other month. I've seen Miami, Orlando, Tahoe, Bahamas, LA, hosted friends of ours at our beach house. We've been on a cruise. We went to Disney. I have a staff member who every time I get back from a trip asks me when my next trip is. But if you told me that 39-year-old Brian is working his ass off to continue to live the lifestyle of 39-year-old Brian, I would quit. I'm working my ass off so that 45, 50, and 55-year-old Brian can have an amazing life. The money that I bring in now, that I'm not spending now, that I'm diverting into an investment account now, is for 45, 50, 55-year-old Brian. When I look at those retirement charts for how much money do I need to be able to generate for myself in retirement, I'm not tracking to my current spend. I'm tracking to what my future spend, what I want my future spend to be. And so here's another hint, by the way, like if you're a good saver, you don't need to be replacing your annual income. You need to be replacing your annual spend plus probably something for taxes, but, but your spend is what you really need to get a handle on. Again, wealth is created in that gap between what you earn and what you spend. If you need a tool for this, I'm going to put a link to personal capital in the show notes. It's what I use to track all my income, expenses, and investments. It's a really easy way to categorize things like groceries, nights out, childcare, home maintenance, and then income. Like, what do I get from my job? What do I get from investment income? What do I earn from dividends? And it helps you get a handle on where your money is coming from, where it's going, and what the gap is between what's coming in and what's going out. But one of the things that I know to be true is my lifestyle spend is going to go up. I've got kids now who are in school, they're busy with sports, prevents us from doing as much travel and certainly as much extended travel as I expect to do in the future. And so I'm planning on actually having a larger spend in retirement than I do now. And so one of the rules, and I'm going to dive into this in a second, but one of the quote rules about retirement planning is you want to be able to take your annual spend, what you expect to spend in, in retirement and multiply it by 25X and that'll get you to what the the nest egg quote needs to be in order to live off of that next egg. If you're drawing 4% each year, you want to be a little bit more conservative, multiply your annual spend by 33 X and that'll get you to a 3% drawdown each year. And I'm going to talk about why I think that rule is, is wrong and doesn't apply to everybody in a minute, but that'll give you, and it might scare you when you do this, but that'll give you an idea of how much of a bolus of money you need to have in a retirement fund in order to sustain your living if for 25 or for 33 years in retirement. So let me dive into that now. You know, the third thing, third problem that I have with these retirement charts is that they assume that the game is to build up a big bag of money. And then when you retire, poke a hole in it and let it bleed at three or 4% every year until you die. Most financial advisors will tell you that a safe withdrawal rate is 4%. This is based on a study done at Trinity College several years ago that looked at the performance of a portfolio that's set up with 60% stocks and 40% bonds over the life of the market and determined that if you're drawing 4% of your money out of that bolus of money every year in retirement, there's only a 5% chance that you run out of money. So they, they did retrospective analysis of like the history of the stock market. And they said in, in every year, if you had retired in that year and you had drawn down 4% of your nest egg every year, then there's only like a 5% chance you would be bankrupt before you die, which would suck. So if you want to learn more about this, just go Google the Trinity study and you'll find some details on this. But let me just give you an example of what that looks like. So if you had a million dollars in the account at the beginning of the year and you took out 40,000, that's 4%, well, the market would go up a little bit 
you also would have probably some social security income coming in that would help you maintain your your standard of living. The market would go up and you'd probably be able to take out a little bit more than 40% in the next year to account for inflation. But even with the market going up, there's still like that 5% chance that you run out of money. And by the way, the problem with that is like, what happens if you retire into a crappy year? What happens if you retire in a new year where the market loses 20 or 25%? Like that would really suck because now you're drawing on the principal and and you're really deflating the bottles of money that you have. You know, but the second problem with the Trinity study is is that historically we didn't live as long as we're living now. And so if you are my age now, 39, or if you're younger than me now, like by the time we get to retirement, I, I think you're gonna probably expect to live to a hundred. And so if you're retiring at 60 or 65 and expecting to live to a hundred, your money's gotta last 40, 35 years, right? And the thing is that I'm not planning on retiring at 65. I'm planning on retiring younger than that. And I'm planning on living past 100. And so I need my money to last longer than 40 or maybe even 50 years. And then the other problem with that is that if you haven't taken good care of your body throughout the course of your life, your medical expenses are going to be much larger in retirement than they are now. And so you know that, that one is kind of riddled with problems. And I don't think that the solution is have a bigger bag or bleed the bag at a, at a lower rate. My solution to the let the bag bleed problem has been investing in cash flowing assets alongside my 401k and my brokerage accounts. What does that mean? So I invest in real estate and in oil and gas deals, and I've been doing it for the last four or five years. And I'm by no means an expert in this. And part of this podcast is documenting my journey and the mistakes that I made in, in investing in those kinds of products. But the results that I have so far are, are pretty good. And in part, like you could point to the fact that there's been a real estate boom in the last couple of years. Sure. But I've gotten to a point where my alternative investments outside of my retirement accounts and outside of my brokerage account, they now spit off enough money to cover a quarter of my living expenses. And in 2023, they'll probably spit off enough money to cover a third of my living expenses. And the other secret is like, I don't use them for the living expenses. I All of the distributions get funneled into a cash account to go reinvest, to go buy more stuff that spits off more cash. And it's just a snowball that goes down the hill. And I should be at a point in the next four or five years where 100% of my living expenses are covered by cash flowing assets so that I can decide if this isn't fun anymore, if I don't enjoy being a lawyer, if I don't enjoy teaching other lawyers how to have better practices and better lives, I can go and sit and retire on a beach somewhere. I don't have to work because I'll have enough money coming in from cash flowing assets that I'm not operating to pay all of my living expenses. Now, all of my friends who have gotten to that point, like none of them are sitting on a beach and doing nothing. They've all moved into things that they love doing. And as long as I love doing it, I'm going to continue to do this, but I want to give myself options and I want to give myself options before I'm 65 and while my body can still go and do all of the fun things that I want to do. And the way that I think about retirement savings is not let's big enough, build up a big enough bag that we can just bleed it for 40 years and hope that we don't run out of money, you know, before we die. It's let's do that alongside cash flowing assets. And so th- those are just like three things that I, three ways that I think differently about saving for retirement and, and what the goalposts and, and the end game looks like for me than, than most people. This advice is probably not for most people. Like the financial advisor advice, the Dave Ramsey style advice is good for most people. 
But again, you are not most people. You are not average. Most people don't listen to podcasts. Most people, if they listen to podcasts, they're listening to, I don't know, reality show bullshit, sports bullshit. Like most people aren't listening to things about how do I make more money? How do I invest better? How do I stay more fit? But you are. And so don't apply the rules and the average life expectations to your life. And do me a favor. Hey, if this stuff resonates with you, and especially if you're a little bit older and you have associates who you think this would be helpful for, like my target market is talking to people, lawyers, high income earners who are 25 to 35. So, you know, anywhere from four to 14 years behind me, because if I can catch you at the early stages of your career and teach you a couple of these things, man, I can set you on a cool trajectory and I don't have anything to sell you. I might at some point, but right now I don't have anything to sell. I just want to share this stuff. So do me a favor. If you've gotten value out of this, share this with somebody who's younger than you, who's at an earlier stage with you and let it help them also. Thanks.